Can you all hear me? Am I audible? All right. Well, good morning. First, I want to start off with prayer because I got to get myself out of this room. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, Lord, with our head bowed, our eyes closed, but our hearts open. Lord God, I ask that you remind me every time that I step onto this stage, Lord, that it has nothing to do with who I am and everything to do with who you are. Lord God, the me that I am, these people wouldn't listen, talk, let alone talk about you. So, Lord, it's just a testimony to how great you are. And I just ask, Lord, that you remove me today, Lord. Let me decrease and let you increase, Lord. We have that garage door open, Lord, so that your spirit can pour out of this place because we want it to be so full that it leaks out into the world, Lord. The, the church house is not meant to be the basket that our light is hidden under. So, Father God, we ask that the message be received today by open hearts, Father, and that they would not leave it here in the church house, but they would take it with them into the world and learn how to apply it in their lives. Father God, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name and by his blood that we pray. Amen. Okay. So, man, there's a lot of people here. A lot more people than first service. <laughs> All right. So, January... 11th, 2016, I was being escorted into a jail cell. I was badly addicted to heroin. I had lost my wife. I had lost my children to DCS. I had lost my cars, I had lost my job, I had lost my home. I had literally lost everything that I ever cared about, everything that I ever loved, and I was being stuck in a cell. Now, the time before this that I was incarcerated, because that's been a continual storm in my life up until I allowed God in, Incarceration was a recurring storm. The time before this, I uh, was going through withdrawals so violently that I went into convulsions in the middle of the night. And my bunkie hit the bing bong and summoned a guard, and they came and got me and took me to St. Joseph Hospital where they pumped water into my body because my kidneys were shutting down because I was dying of dehydration. I hadn't had anything to drink or eat for 11 days. I couldn't hold anything down. So as I enter into the jail once again on the 16th, or on the 11th of 2016, the guard said, uh, Mendenhall, because they don't call you by your first name in there. In prison, they call you a number. They don't even call you your name. But He said, Mendenhall, you're going to cell 1510. He said, the weld on the top bunk is broken. So we can't put anybody up there, and the toilet is flooding, so we can't put anybody on the floor. So I thought to myself, great, I'm going to go in the cell and die. That's, that's what I thought. I thought this is it. I'm going to go in there and go into withdrawals just like I did last time, but I'm not going to come back out. But when I walked in the cell, my mat was on the bed, and a Bible was on the desk. I said, okay, God. I see you. So I went up to that desk and I opened that Bible and I started reading and I read the entire New Testament that day. That's not a big feat, guys. I was in jail. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> don't, don't think that showed my dedication right off the bat. It was for lack of options, okay? But something happened when I read that. Something hit me in here. And something said, I want what that book talks about. So that night I cried out to God. I said, Lord, I read your story. I heard how you want me to be a new creature. I understand that I'm supposed to put off the old man and to put on the new man, that I'm supposed to clothe myself in Christ. I see all that, Lord. I said, I want to be that new man. I said, but God, I'm afraid I'm going to die in this cell. I said, Lord, if you will help me, 
through these withdrawals. Help me to make it out of this cell. I promise that I'll tell people what you did for me. Not only did I go from doing four grams of heroin a day to absolutely nothing, I did not withdraw for one second. Not for one second. I did not miss one moment of sleep. I did not miss one meal. I did not have diarrhea. I was not throwing up. All those wonderful things accompany withdrawing. I know it sounds fun. Probably want to try it. Don't. <laughs> I'm just letting you know now from experience. I've done it. I'm telling you, don't do it. Sounds great and appealing. It's not as fun as it sounds, believe me. But guys, none of that happened. None of that. Last time I almost died, this time nothing. It's because of God. And because I cried out. And because I meant it from my heart. See, he knows. He knows when we're giving him lip service. He doesn't want lip service. He wants life service. He doesn't want you to say the right words because he's already given us the right words. Right? Nothing that I say up here today is going to affect any one of you. But the message that he has prepared for you, I hope, touches your heart. Because I don't want you to see me. I want you to know me, and that's why I'm telling you this. But I don't want you to see me. I want you to see God. Because he's the only reason that I'm up here. It has nothing to do with Nick Mendenhall and everything to do with the God I serve. Okay? Now we're going to be looking at a text today that's about a storm. And I don't know if you guys have noticed outside lately, but storms happen. They come, they go. They're of all different sizes, shapes, abilities, right? Some of them have great winds. Some of them have tornadoes. Some of them have hail. Some of them have rain where you can't see, right? All of them are different. None of the storms are the same. And there's also something about them that's true for everyone, too. We can't avoid them. We can't stop them. They're going to come, right? So contextually, because this church has put it into me that context is huge in the Bible, we'll see that this is the second storm that the disciples have went through in Mark. They've already went through a storm. And the first storm, Jesus told them to be still. Right? He said, be still. So now in the second storm, we're going to see if they listen, if they applied it, and we're going to learn how to be still. Okay? Because it's wonderful to be told to be still. How do I do it? That's the hard part. Anybody can say, hey, you need to be still. <laughs> Show me how, please. Because being still is a lot easier said than done. When you're out there like these disciples were in the middle of that lake rowing, and that wind's against you, and the waves are beating on your boat, <laughs> it's rough to be still. It's hard to trust in that. You're, you're screaming, you're crying, God, why am I going through this? God, I don't see, I don't understand. But see, God told us not to lean on our own understanding, didn't he? Didn't he tell us that in Proverbs? He said not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust in the Lord. Right? To trust in the Lord. We're going to get into the scripture today, but I want you guys to be thinking about that. How can I be still? Because I can look out and there's a hundred different faces, which means there's a hundred different storms going on in this building right now. Some of them I know because I have relationships with some of you. Some of them I don't. Guess what? That doesn't matter because he sees all of them. He knows exactly where every single one of you are right now 
He knows whether you're going through a storm with your spouse. He knows whether you're going through a storm at your job. He knows whether you're going through a storm with your siblings. He knows whether you're going through a storm with a fellow believer or someone that doesn't believe that you're trying to. He sees where you are. He understands where you are. And I'm going to show you through this text today that a lot of the times he puts you where you are. Okay, so we're going to open up in Mark 6, and we're going to be going through 45 and 52. We're going to use the other gospel accounts of this so that we can have the full picture of this story. So we're going to get into this. The first word is immediately. We're going to stop right there. I know you're like, we've said one word and we're stopping in the text. Yeah, we are. Okay, so immediately here is a context word. Now what happens, so it's saying that immediately after whatever transpired, this is what happened following that. This is immediately what took place after whatever happened previous to this. Now when we look at the story of Matthew and Mark, it looks like all that happened before this was the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm not saying that like that's something light because that was a miraculous miracle in which Jesus Christ taught the disciples that no matter what they have, if they are willing to give it all to him, that he will make it more than enough. Okay? Very important lesson. But because of this miracle, when you look to John, you'll see the reason why there was urgency for this trip. In John, it says that after this miracle, the Jews got together. Now, if you know anything about the Jewish people at this time, they were under the oppression of Rome. They see a guy that can feed close. It says there were 5,000 men without women and children. If you know anything about the culture at the time, which some of you don't, that's fine because I'm going to explain it to you. But you'll know that men didn't travel without their wives and a lot of the times that their children were with them. Unless you're talking about the disciples who left their families for Christ. Okay. So we're looking at possibly fifteen to 20,000 people that Christ just fed. Okay, but notice they were after him for the food of the world because he had 20,000 followers when he was feeding them the food of the world. But there was only 12 of them on that boat that were ready to get the food of the word. Right? If you want to take that even farther, look at this, guys. Three of those disciples went into the garden with him. One of those disciples was at the cross with him. See, the closer we get to that cross, the smaller our circle becomes. Because the harder it is to follow him. Think about that. That's, woo, that was not in first service, but he... Uh, woo, yeah, he opened that up. Okay, so immediately we see that he is going to be taken to be king by force now. That's what the people have conspired to do. They said, did you see what he just did? This guy can be like Moses and free us. They said he can get us out of this oppression that we have from the Romans. We've got to make him king. See, they were trying to make Christ king by the standards of the world. Christ was sent to be the king by the standards of the word. Okay, he, he wasn't satisfied with the praise of man. And in a position to be exalted by man, it says in the text that he separated himself. Let's read it here. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending away the crowd. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. One more. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he alone was on the land. So see, my point here is that this shows us 
is are we set apart by his sovereignty? Now, we've learned here at Church on the Rock that being set apart is a part of the process of salvation that is in between justification and comes before glorification, right? Sanctification is this process. We were justified on the cross. Now comes that new man. See, the new man's there, but he has to be built up. When you're born, you weren't born with all the knowledge you know now, right? You had to grow and mature. The same thing is true with a Christian. You're not going to enter. We're going to see that later in the story. You're not going to enter into this walk and walk like Christ. And if anybody expects you to, they're placing unreasonable expectations on you because that's not how this works. This is something that we do together because if you notice, it says that he sent the disciples. He didn't send them into the storm alone. He sent them together to fight this storm together. And see, that's the problem we have as a church family is we're afraid to share our storms. But Galatians tells us that we're to bear each other's burdens. But how can we bear what we don't share? If we don't tell anybody about their storm we're going through, how can they pray for us? How can they lift us up? How can they exalt us? How can they give us the strength to help get us through if we don't speak it and let it be known? See, because I guarantee everybody in here is going through something right now. Have you told anybody about it? Better yet, have you told God about it? Because he's the one that matters. I can tell you a bunch of stuff, sure. But God can change your heart. Okay? So set apart, we know this is a process, right? It, it reminds me of a butterfly. When a butterfly starts off, it's a caterpillar. Okay? Now it comes a point in its life where it's time for a change. That caterpillar doesn't become a butterfly overnight does it it makes a cocoon and it goes through a process called metamorphosis okay and it changes see I want you to see that that this is a process that the being set apart is a process but it also involves being set apart by his sovereignty okay a lot of people don't know what sovereignty means that's good because we're going to tell you Sovereignty is a big word, meaning that he is in control of everything, okay? And what that requires, probably one of the hardest things from us, is letting go. Lindley, some of you guys know my daughter, Lindley. Some of you love her. Some of you have know the real her, so you can't stand her. <laughs> no, she's a great baby. Um, but she was learning to crawl. And uh, she was on the ground, and she'd get down. And she'd, she'd push herself up on her knees, but she had a hold of this toy that she really thought that she needed. And so she'd get up like this, but she had this toy, so when she'd push herself forward with her hands, she'd fall directly on her face. I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced that, but, but I have. I've experienced the holding on to something so bad that I thought I needed the unwillingness to not let go and see his sovereignty. And I've also experienced the falling directly on my face afterwards. Right. Believe me. So see, it's not only that we're set apart, but it's that we're set apart by his sovereignty. We have to realize that no matter what we are going through, he is in control. Okay. Hebrews I want you guys to see this, because Hebrew 4.15 tells us that we have a God that has been tempted in all ways like we have been tempted, but is without sin. See, he withstood the test of temptation, but what did it say that he do, did in the text? It said that he immediately went away to the mountain in prayer. See, he was in a position to be exalted by man, 
But instead of letting the pride get him, he humbled himself before God. See, he's teaching us the importance of being set apart by his sovereignty. I want you guys to really think about this. This is, this is big here. These people are coming to take him to make him king. That's why he came, wasn't it? To be king? Isn't that why Christ came? To be king. So they're offering what he came for. But see, they're offering him the crown without the cross. They're saying, I'll, I'll make people bow down to you. You don't even have to go to that cross. But see, Christ said, the only way that I want to be, these people to bow down to me is because of that cross and because of what happened three days after that cross when I conquered death and gave you life. Because I want you to see something, guys. Christ didn't come for himself. Christ didn't come to build a religion. Christ didn't come so that he would go down in history. Christ came so that you wouldn't just be part of history. Christ came so that you would have the eternal life that God intended for us in the garden. Mm. So it says that he is tempted like us, yet without sin. So you know what that tells me? He understands. He understands what we're going through. Yet because of his willingness to be set apart by God's sovereignty... He rejected the pride, and he went alone with God. See, it's such a powerful statement of humility. It's such a powerful statement of being set apart by his sovereignty. And once we're set apart by his sovereignty, can you give me verse 48 up there? Because it's going to lead to my next point. It says, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. My point here that I get in this is, are you trusting in the trials? See, it says that they were out in the boat, that they were rowing. And it says that it wasn't until the fourth watch that he came to them. Now, some of you might not know what the fourth watch means or understand how long of a time that is. So in Jewish time and Jewish tradition and biblical times here, the night was separated from 6 to 9, 8 p.m. was first watch. From 9 to midnight was second watch. From midnight to 3 was third watch. And from 3 to 6 a.m. was fourth watch. Now, this was separated so that people could keep an eye out for thieves, keep an eye on their flock to make sure that animals weren't attacking them. It was a very different time. So we know from the word immediately at the beginning that right after this feeding, Jesus told them to get onto the boat. We know that it was still daylight because it says when even was come, that he alone was on the land and they were out in the sea, right? So they're still out there. They've been out there from right after dinner till three, between three and six o'clock in the morning. We don't know what time, but if you look later in the text, it says that as Jesus was coming to them, that the disciples saw him. So I believe that it was closer to 6 a.m. when the sun was coming up because they actually saw him. But see, you look at what the, the text says here. It says, seeing them straining at the oars. It's the middle of the night. They're three to four miles out into the lake. But Christ sees them. And the word here is weedon in the Greek. It's not actually just a looking at. It's not like you staring at a TV screen. It's not like you just casually watching somebody pass by. This is a scene that's perceiving the trouble that's involved in their situation. This is a looking into the person, not just looking at the person. Okay? Christ looked at them with compassion, which is the way that we're to look at each other, right? Because he says that we're to love one another. But isn't that a reason to trust in the trials, just knowing that he sees us, that he sees where we're at? But when you look at the text, not only does he see where they're at, he sent them where they're at. He told them to get in the boat and go. He put them 
in the middle of that storm. Sometimes that's hard to accept because we don't understand the storms. You know, we, we just discussed that he understands, but we don't understand. But God never told us to understand, did he? He actually told us the exact opposite of that in Proverbs. He said to lean not on your own understanding, but to trust in the Lord your God with all your heart, and then he will direct your path. So see, our understanding doesn't matter. Do we trust? That's what matters. I've looked through the Bible multiple times. Never once have I seen him tell me to understand. Multiple times have I seen him tell me to trust. I want you guys to, to see something here because we talked about butterflies before. So there was a study done on butterflies. They took a thousand butterflies and they allowed them to fight their way out of the cocoon. They took another thousand butterflies and they cut the cocoon open for the butterflies. Now the difference between the thousand butterflies that fought their way out of the cocoon and the thousand butterflies that were cut from the cocoon and freed is those thousand butterflies that didn't go through that struggle could not fly and they died. Do you see that? That struggle gave them the strength to fly. Without it, they were dead. Do you see, do you see the importance of that, of grabbing onto that? The struggle gave them the strength. But are we set apart by his sovereignty enough to trust in the trials? And I, I want you guys to see something here. Because God points to nature a lot. Right? He tells us to consider the ways of the ant and the lily and the raven and that King Solomon doesn't even have wisdom that great, right? Because of their blind faith. So I want you to look at an eagle since we're talking about storms. An eagle is a bird that flies the highest. And when an eagle encounters a storm, it doesn't go hide in a tree. It doesn't go try to find its nest and run away from the storm. An eagle spreads its wings grabs onto that wind and is lifted above the storm. It rises above the clouds so that the storm doesn't affect it. It uses the wind to lift it up instead of to beat it down. Are we trusting in the trials enough to do that? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Now, Rashad pointed this out to me, so I'm going to give him credit here, because as we were reading and going over this, I had a completely different sermon written up, and it completely changed after our talk. And something in this verse, it says, for the wind was against them. What is wind? It's an unseen, powerful force that opposes you, right? Now, we've been in Florida, my mom's experienced hurricanes hurricane type winds you lean out like this and that boy will hold you up you know what i'm saying wind is powerful and it's unseen and it's working against us so this led us to ephesians 6:12 which says for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Do we realize that? Do we realize that every storm that we encounter has nothing to do with here, but it's trying to get us to there? You see, we get so focused on the world and what's going on around us that we forget that this isn't home. This isn't the goal. So why are we fighting and living like it is? This is not where we're meant to be. It says before that we were aliens in a strange land. Guess what? We still are. Now we're adopted aliens, right? Thank God for adoption. We're adopted aliens. But now we're living in a world that isn't ours. 
because we belong to God. Okay? So I want you to see that. And see, if we don't realize and we don't trust that every struggle that we face is in preparation for his promise, what are we fighting? We're fighting ourselves. Because we're taking the truth away from God's word. And he told us that everything we are battling has nothing to do with the here and the now. But is preparing us for the not yet. Right? And I want you to see the danger in not seeing this. Can I get Romans 5 through 8? Or Romans 8, 5 through 8, I'm sorry. Okay. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. It is not even able to do so. And it said, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if we're walking like the only thing that matters is our flesh, then we're telling our Father that what he says doesn't matter. Think about that. That's scary. Okay. So now we know the dangers of not seeing that we're in spiritual battles. We see the reasons that we need to be set apart and that we need to trust. Now let's move on in the text to verse 48, please. And it says, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. So I'm going to stop right there, and I want to ask. My next point is, are we involved and inviting? See, they were not only out there rowing, but they were out there responding. Okay, now the text tells us that they cried out in fear. I, I, I really think that's inconsequential. I've cried out to God in fear. I've cried out to God in despair. I've cried out to God lost. I've cried out to God hopeless. I've cried out to God destitute. And you know what he said to me? Am I your deity? Because if I am, none of that matters. But see, we have to remember, these people were out here all night. We're looking at at least nine hours of rowing. They've already been in a long, tired day where solitude was searched for and sought, but never secured. Okay, the day before this was long, it was tiring, they were wanting rest, and now they've been rowing all night. And has it got them anywhere? Have they reached their destination? Have they gotten to where God told them to go? No. They're still out in the middle of the sea, rowing, not going anywhere. As my grandma, she used to have this saying that said, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you the something to do, but it gets you nowhere. That's kind of like what they were doing, right? They're out there rowing, but they're not moving. Okay? But they were involved, weren't they? And when they realized the hopelessness of their situation, they didn't flee. They called on him, right? So see, it shows us that even when our efforts seem like they aren't effectual, this is not when we give up, but this is when we cry out. Okay? Because we have to learn. I'm assuming that most of you have read some of the Bible. If you look at the Bible and the pronouns in it, most of them are plural. Most of them are plural. Which means that it's for everyone. He's not just talking to one person. He's talking to the church. The church is not the building. The church is the body of Christ. It's the believers. So he's talking to us. The 
question is, are we talking to him? Because, see, without them crying out, what did it say? Let's move one verse back, I think. Yep, right there. What did it say? It said that he intended to pass them by. Now, do you think this was him being rude? No. No. It was him wanting them to see their need. Okay. And I want you to see the miracle in that, guys. They've been out here in this boat. Put yourself in the disciples' position, if you will. You're out in this boat rowing. You're tired. You're beat down. You've been going for a long time. And you look out, and you see a dude walking to you in the middle of this storm. I'm crying out in fear, too. I'm scared at this point. I'm probably going to need a clean pair of boxers. I'm just being real. Like, that is going to be frightening. You know what I'm saying? You're looking out, and not only is this dude coming up on you, but he's moving faster than you are. There's 12 of y'all on this boat rowing, and he's fitting to pass you by. I'm freaking out at this point. I'm like, what in the world is out there? Y'all get me away from it. But see, they cried out in fear, but that doesn't matter. Because I want you to see what happened. Let's go to verse 50, pull that up. It says, for they all saw him and were terrified, but immediately, here we have that word again, immediately, he spoke with them and said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Now the it is I here in the Greek, if you look into the Old Testament in Exodus 3.14, God was talking with Moses, and Moses said, okay, I'm going to go to Pharaoh. I'm going to do what you told me to do, but who do I tell him sent me? And God said, I am who I am. Okay, now, Jesus saying, it is I, in the Greek, is the equivalent to God saying, I am. So my question and my point for this is, are we listening to his logic? We've already seen that we need to be set apart by his sovereignty. We've seen that we need to trust in the trials that we need to be involved in inviting. But are we really listening to his logic? Think about this, guys. He is saying, I am. This is the creator of the world, okay? On on my way to McDonald's this morning to get breakfast for Hannah and I, I was driving, and there was a family of geese crossing the road. And they're taking their time. Like, they don't obviously care that I'm in a hurry. You know what I'm saying? That has no bearing on these geese at all they don't care that i'm trying to get where i'm trying to get and get back home so i can get to church they don't care about that but so i'm inching up trying to get these geese to hurry but what happens the mom stops i thought she was going to do something to me y'all i didn't even know if i was going to make it here this morning no the way this goose looked at me this is not i don't know why you guys are laughing my life was endangered this is ridiculous i thought you guys cared about me this is crazy. So, so this goose stops and looks at me, and si- it literally sizes my car up. It looks at me like, what are you going to do? I was like, are you for real? But it got me to thinking. We've got the creator of the universe, the I am, saying that not only does he see us, but that he wants us to trust, that he wants us to be involved, and that he loves us. But he's saying, I am here, and there's no reason to be afraid. Now, if that goose, have you ever heard the the, the phrase, you're a bird brain? Okay. So a goose that knows nothing is willing to stand up to my car (laughs) to protect its babies. We've got the God of the universe, the I am, Telling us that he's willing to step up and fight for his babies. Are we listening to his logic? Think about that. This goose didn't care what happened to it. It wanted to make sure its kids were all right. What makes you think the God and Father of the universe loves you any less than that goose loves its babies? 
What makes you think that he'll fight for you any less than that goose will fight for his babies? He doesn't. He doesn't. Now the I am in John 14, 6, Jesus gave us a few more I am's, didn't he? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father but by me, right? Do we believe that? Do we believe that he came as the way to God? Do we, do we believe that he came revealing to us the truth about God? And do we believe that he came to bring us life with God? Because that's what he's telling us right there. He said, I'm the way to the Father. I'm the truth about the Father. And if you believe in me, you're going to have life with the Father. Right? Are we listening to his logic? Because what he's telling us there is that he's a bridge. Right? Christ is a bridge. He is bridge. If you look at Malachi, we was in that at the beginning of the year. The Old Testament ended in a chasm between God and man. Man said, God, you don't love us. And God said, what? That's pretty much how the Old Testament ended, right? I mean, summing it up. That's how it happened. So we're at this gap. There's a, there's a space between God that can't be closed. None of our sacrifices are doing it because we're not bringing them worthy sacrifices anymore. We're bringing them lame, dumb, blind, mute animals with spots all over him. You know, because giving him our best just doesn't make sense, does it? No, that's the same heart that got Cain and Abel into the situation they were in, wasn't it? That exact same heart. Man. So he's the bridge that's connected that gap. But see, a lot of the problem is, is we focus on what a bridge is from above so much that we forget about being under the bridge. See, because the bridge, yeah, it'll connect places that weren't connected. It'll close gaps. It'll bring closeness. But have you ever been out in a storm driving down the road? And it's just the wind's blowing, the hail's flying, the rain's coming. You can't even see out the windshield. But you hit that overpass, and that bridge is over the top of you. And all of a sudden, that storm isn't so bad, is it? You can see out your windshield. It's calm. It makes sense. And it gives you that little period of rest that you need to go back out into the storm, doesn't it? gives you that little moment of clarity see that's what Christ offers for us in being our bridge he doesn't just say that you can pass over me he says that you can live under me right he says that you can count on me I can be your rock I can be your refuge I can be your safe place but are we listening to his logic See, now this part in the story, when you switch to Matthew, um, this is the part where Peter said, okay, God, if it's you, let me come down on the water with you. It's omitted from this in Mark, and I believe the reason that it was is because I didn't know this when I originally studied Mark, but Mark was actually scribing for Peter, the book of Mark was actually Mark writing, but Peter orating. So Peter's telling the story. Now, as you see here, Mark fills in some details of his own eyewitness because he is the only gospel that has the account of the little boy in the garden. That little boy was Mark. Okay? But the story of Mark here, Peter's part is left out because he didn't want to take your focus off of Christ. He wanted the sole focus on this to be on Christ. But I think Peter's part of this story is important because it shows us a very, very logical truth, okay? So Peter says, Lord, let me come. And he comes, and he gets out on the water, and he's walking. But instead of being set apart by his sovereignty, instead of trusting in the trial, instead of being involved in inviting and listening to his logic, Peter starts focusing on the world and what's going on around him. Can I ask you a question? What did those waves and that wind have to do with Peter walking on that water? Not a thing. He's already out there walking on it, wasn't he? 
He's already walking to Christ on the water. He hasn't sunk, so it's obvious that it can be done. Why did he pay attention to the water and start to sink when it had nothing to do with what he was doing and what God called him to do? Do you see how we do that? See, Christ said, come. That's all Christ said. He said, come, get out and walk, right? That's all Peter should have done. But see, we don't do that, do we? No, we let pride get in the way. See, that's what Peter did. Peter thought that because he had heard Christ talk and he could talk like Christ, he thought that he was ready to walk like Christ. You see how that turned out for him. Walking like Christ is a lot harder than talking like Christ. You can say all the right words all you want. Can you live it? Can you live it in your life? Can you listen to his logic? See, Peter taught us something very important. His pride, his pride led him to doubt, which almost led him to drown. If you read in the amplified version of this account, it says that he cried out in fear of death. So the one who brings life sent him on this mission, is coming to him in the midst of his storm, has said that I will walk with you through this storm, on this water. Peter's forgot all that in two seconds because of some wind and some water. How often do we let a little storm make us forget who God is? How often do we let a little storm separate us from our Savior? Right? It's so easy. I'm sorry I'm sweating like a pig. It's disgusting. Grossing me out. <laughs> so see, John 4.16 told us that he's the way and the truth and life, and the danger in not knowing this is in John 3.18. Can I get that up there real quick? It says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you guys see that? He who believes is not judged. But if you don't believe, you've already received the condemnation. It, it tells us that right there. It's already happened. It says you have been judged already. So see, if we don't realize that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that's the danger in it right there. Whew. I want to go on to verse 51. It says, then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. So this brings me to my last point, is are we leaving it to the Lord? We've seen be set apart we've seen to trust we've seen to be involved in inviting we've heard to listen to his logic but now are we taking all these things applying them and leaving them to the lord because that's the hardest thing to do see you can go to god with all of your problems but if you don't leave them there if you walk away with them are you showing faith no, because you're putting a weight on you that you're not strong enough to carry, right? Peter just showed us that we can't walk alone, didn't he? He just showed us that we need God in our lives to make it through the storms, right? Okay, so I want you guys to see this. Can we go to John six twenty one? because the way they wrap it up here in this other text is amazing it says so they were willing to receive him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going and those who were in the boat worshiped him saying you are certainly god's son now i want you guys to look at that see once they were willing to receive him once 
they allowed him into this boat. What does it say next? We got that word immediately again, don't we? It says, immediately they were at the shore where they were going, right? Do you see what just happened? See, once they were willing to receive Christ, once they allowed him in, all that fruitless labor has now bore fruit. All that struggle in that storm that seemed like it was getting them nowhere has now got them to the exact place that he sent them to. All because they were willing to receive him and they allowed him on the boat. So I have to ask you this morning as we're closing up, are we willing to let him in our boat? You guys want to come up? Now we're closing out today with a song called, what is it? Leave it at the altar? Oh, come to the altar. Okay. I couldn't remember the title for some reason. And I want to open that invitation to anyone here today. Maybe there's some of you here that don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I want you to know that that door is open for you just like that garage door. That door is open for you today. Maybe there's people here that have a relationship with God, but they haven't learned how to be still in God. And maybe they want to rededicate themselves that way. I don't know where you're at in your walk. I don't know where you are in some of your storms. But that doesn't matter because he does. He sees you right where you're at. He knows right where you're at. And from the text that we see today, he puts you right where you're at. And it might be painful. It might hurt. We might feel lost. We might feel disgust. We might feel no understanding at all. But if we're still, we see that it's working for his plan in our lives. And it's put there to get us to where he wants to take us. So I want to extend this offer for anyone. If you want to come up, if you want to stay in your seat, if you want to meet with me afterwards or any of our other church family, we would love to pray with you because we want you to have this peace. We want you to have this stillness in your life. I really appreciate you guys letting me come and preach for you today. I hope that it happens again, God willing. I love all you guys, and thanks a lot.